I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Welcome to episode three of Real Talk with me, your host, Anna Pajajski. In this episode, I speak to engineer Ollie Broadbent about concrete. I started by asking him about his obsession for concrete, but he put me straight right away. Well, I think obsession is probably a bit strong, but, you know, it, I know it's quite hard to find people to talk about this uh, topic. So, you know, maybe moderately interested comes across as obsessed to the uh, civilian. So tell us a bit about yourself and what drew you to concrete? Well, I am somewhat of a, a lapsed civil engineer. I studied uh, civil engineering, um, but beforehand I worked as a teacher. And so about seven or eight years ago, I started moving into actually engineering education. So looking at how do we how do we teach engineering? How do we uh, help students really develop skills at universities so they can be really effective when they get to work? And then how do we how do we carry on learning effectively in the workplace? So it's got me into talking about things like design, but it's got me talking about things like material as well. And over the years, actually, I have developed quite a few teaching resources around the theme of concrete. So uh, you can look online to find explanations of how concrete works, which are scripted by me and uh, delivered by a whole bunch of other people. So I guess over the years, I've, I, I've, I've found myself uh, talking more and more about concrete, and I've discovered that other people think of me as somebody who knows about concrete, but it's not that true. I can offer up what I do know. Okay, well, first things first, why don't we start with what is concrete? That is a good question. And I think we could start with thinking of it as something which is completely moldable into whatever shape you want. And then when it sets, it goes incredibly hard. So I like the idea of thinking of it as liquid stone. Concrete is made up of a number of constituents. There is Aggregate, which is usually bits of uh, rock and, and sand. There's, there's a reason why you have that mixture. I'll come back to that in a moment. There is water, and then there is cement, which forms the paste which joins everything together. So concrete is a mixture of those three things, cement, aggregate, and water. Um, and what happens is you uh, mix the ingredients together into whatever shape you want it to be, and then the cement starts to hydrate. It's a hydration reaction. This uh, fingers start to kind of uh, form, little crystals start to form and grab hold of all the little bits of aggregate. And over a number of days and weeks, uh, it becomes very, very hard. And in fact, it carries on getting hard. Um, and so this is why they say that the Roman concrete structures, such as the Parthenon, are stronger today than they've ever been. But that, 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 that increase in strength, I believe, is, is asymptotic. So, you know, it's not getting stronger to infinity you know sure. it's, but but it that that reaction continues as long as i think there's some water present it will continue to hydrate and grab hold of the bits of aggregate that are, that are around the cement paste that is 
Okay, so concrete doesn't actually dry as it hardens. Yes, it, it's it, it's a, it's a hydration reaction, and so actually, uh, counterintuitively, you need to keep concrete quite wet as it as it hardens. So okay. to say it's drying is a little bit of a misnomer. Mm. So um, you will see uh, one of the things that you see on construction sites sometimes is uh, a slab. Say a slab of concrete has been poured for the basement of a building, and there will be some sheeting over it to actually stop the water from evaporating, or they will actually pool water over the top. Uh, so that's called, uh, that's called curing the concrete and make sure it stays wet. If you don't do that, um, the, the, the hydration reaction is, is exothermic. Concrete gets very warm when it's, when it's, when it's uh, uh, going off. That's one of the expressions they use in construction when it's going off. And it gets very warm, and so that water could actually evaporate. So you need to keep putting water in or at least keeping the environment wet. This is fascinating. I mean, I'm sure most people wouldn't think that concrete actually has crystals in it. Yes, exactly. It's a highly complex, uh, highly complex uh, structure. I actually once filmed a, a short film about concrete down at the lab at Imperial College, where they study the, the crystalline structure um, of it. It's a far cry from the, the construction site with lorries being reversed in and, and, and sort of mud everywhere. That was a that was a highly precise concrete working environment. Yeah. Um, and uh, there are lots of there are lots of things I think we don't know about how 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 concrete works. It's quite a complex chemical structure. Uh, to make the, the the thing is to make the cement. That's the that's the key ingredient. Um, so cement uh, is made from limestone. It's made from clay and gypsum. And uh, I did a science show off about four or five years ago where it called Cooking with Concrete and we pretended to do a cooking show uh, and you can do this at home you just get some uh, limestone you know from a nearby cliff and you get some clay from your garden uh, and you put those in a food processor and you know, mix them up and then heat them up to about 1500 degrees celsius um, which I can't remember what the gas mark is for that but it's it's quite high probably more than 10 I would say yes yeah, so I think it's, yeah. it's greater than 10 yeah um I did a little bit of work to kind of compare the gas mark scale to Celsius. It turns out the gas mark scale is not, not I don't believe, is directly li linearly related. Oh, or, really? or there's some fudges. Yeah. Mm. Anyway, maybe that's oh, one. Who invented the gas mark scale? Um, I imagine somebody from the gas marketing board. Probs. Who just thought, you know, we can make the world easier by going, heat it at one. Heat it <laughs> yeah. at four. Yeah. <laughs> 275, not one. Yeah, yeah. I, I reckon worth checking out we'll, we'll maybe find out hello anna from the future here just to let you know that the gas mark scale actually became a thing in the 1940s and it was used to denote the mark on the so-called gas regulo which was a gas regulator used to regulate gas flow on old style cookers to convert gas mark to degrees celsius all you have to do is multiply the gas mark number by 14 and then add 121 because that makes complete sense so 1,500 degrees Celsius is gas mark 98.5. You're welcome. Yeah, so up to like gas mark 100, yeah. uh, or say 1,500, 1,600 degrees Celsius, uh, and then you grind it up and you form this powder. So uh, elements-wise, uh, cement has got uh, calcium ions in it. That comes from the uh, limestone. It's got uh, silicates, it's got illuminates, and it's got uh, ferrates or ferrites. I'm not, I can't, can't quite remember what oxidation state the iron's in there, so we'll, we'll take a guess, a fair or something. Yeah. Um, and that all comes from clay. And the sulfites come from, or sulfates, sorry, come from the gypsum. Okay. Um, that reaction is 
releases carbon dioxide. So the CaCO3 uh, decomposes in that reaction and releases carbon dioxide. So before, it, there's a sort of double whammy carbon impact of making cement because you're re- you have to heat it up to 1500 degrees celsius so that is in itself uh, a, a very intensive can be a carbon intensive process and then the reaction itself releases all this co2 so um, now there are lots of kind of carbon benefits to using concrete which we might get to but the starting point is it actually produces quite a lot of carbon dioxide or a lot is released uh, both chemically and in the process yeah because one of the bad things about concrete is the fact that it does release so much CO2 in the production stages of cement. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I heard that about 17% of carbon emissions come from concrete. Is that right? It could, could a huge well be. proportion. Yeah, um, I should check that. I'll but- check that fact. Hello, it's Anna from the future here again. Just to say that cement contributes to actually more like 5% of global CO2 emissions. You are probably thinking of the proportion of greenhouse emissions produced by livestock farming. But it, it, you have to look at it from a whole system perspective mm. and a whole life perspective. So if we jump to what's concrete used for and what are some of its sort of properties... Uh, in buildings, one of the great things you benefit from is its insulating properties and its thermal mass. So... Um, actually, you can uh, you can control a building environment such that uh, great big lumps of concrete get heated up, and then they stay warm, or they get cooled down, and they stay cooled down. Mm-hmm. I worked on a uh, when I was um, still working as a structural engineer. I worked on a, a skyscraper in in Turin, and the idea of that skyscraper was it had sandwich sandwich panels of concrete floors, uh, and during the night time, holes would open up in the facade and cool air would blow through the skyscraper from one side to the other, cooling the... the effectively, uh, cold air was then the filling of the sandwich, mm. cooling the slabs either side. Oh. And then that would radiate uh, cool f- into mm. the room. It's not a word I like, but it's... Uh, <laughs> but cool f- uh, <laughs> absence of heat, absence of warmth yeah. um, into... Into, into the room. Amazing. I don't know from a thermodynamic perspective whether you can radiate cool because I imagine that the radiation itself is mm, going the other way. Is going the other way. Yeah. Maybe I don't what's know. happening is actually the warm is the, the room is is cooling the slab and taking away the um, yeah taking away the heat from the slab. Yeah, yeah. The, the air is taking away the heat. Yeah, but these building designers do say occasionally cool, but <laughs> I'll, I'll have a word. <laughs> yeah, it's a weird word, isn't it? So you have to look at you have to, uh, and. And it can create buildings that have a very long, uh, can have a very long life as long yeah. as you've designed them in such a way that they remain useful to future uh, uh, generations. Sure. So uh, the carbon picture, I think, uh, is quite balanced. Mm. Earlier, you mentioned about the Romans using mm. concrete. Were they the first to use concrete in history? I think um, uh, the e- Egyptians and the Greeks have uh, some sort of. Uh, process that involved binding together uh, a, a stone i really don't know the exact history of this but things like there was use of volcanic ash which presumably and, and, and potsalamic cement which is what the uh, romans had um which i think will give you some of those um some of those compounds whether it, and they mixed it with lime quick lime so that's where your, your calcium components coming from but presumably the uh, the uh, silicates uh, or the uh, ferrites were coming from 
the volcanic ash. And, and there, there were some early projects, I think the Egyptians or Romans were able to do, where they were able to get this to set underwater, which was quite a... Uh, well, as I said before, you know, it doesn't go, it doesn't dry, it actually requires water to hydrate. Yeah. Um, they, those early compounds were, um, were lime cements. And I believe lime... Lamine, li- the lime cement reaction is reversible, which adds a whole series of extra properties to the to, to the concrete. I don't believe it's quite as strong. Um, sometime in the seventeen uh, or eighteen hundreds, uh, somebody came along and invented Portland cement. So the so the Romans uh, obviously they 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 were only successful for, for a certain period of time, and then a lot of their technology was lost, and a lot of that concrete, that knowledge about how to build out concrete to how to make cement was lost. But Portland cement, uh, so named because of the colour of the final concrete that it makes, it looks a bit like Portland stone, uh, was invented as this uh, industrially. Uh, produced cement compound uh, has a slightly different chemical reaction that I don't believe is, rever- is reversible in the same way. But there is a quite a, uh, a movement now in the UK to go back to using lime-based cements, lime-based mortars, particularly for things like building traditional brick walls and renders on the outside of uh, houses uh, because I think it's more breathable and it has a sort of self-healing quality to it so if a crack forms you can uh, because the reaction is reversible water can get in there and i think the the um the reaction can can carry on and refill the gap something like that yeah because there was a big um so a lot of excitement surrounding self-healing concrete a year or two ago um which involved embedding bacteria in concrete um so there's a researcher whose name is Hendrik Jonkers from the University at Delft in the Netherlands. Yes. Um, he embedded some bacteria, and I'm going to try and say it, but it's um, a bit tricky. Um, either Bacillus pseudofermus or Sporo, Sporosarcina pasteurii bacteria. Oh, Jesus, someone get Lucy Clements back on to do the Latin bits. I like. I think that pseudofermus sounds like a, <laughs> like a building material. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, definitely. Um, uh, they embedded it into concrete, and basically these bacteria stay alive, mm-hmm. but sort of dormant mm-hmm. um, in the concrete as it normally is. Um, and then, if a crack forms and atmospheric water or rainwater gets in, then that kind of activates the bacteria again. Yeah. Um, and the sole purpose of these bacteria is to consume food, which is actually put in the concrete as well. Um, and excrete calcium carbonate, and then that acts to fill in the gaps. Right. Um, yes, I had heard about that, and it, it, it's fascinating. Yeah. I love that this idea that um, these organisms are somehow embedded in the in the material. But it's not so strange if if you think about actually what sort of the, the kind of uh, geological history of the sort of rocks are that we're mm. working in. There, there are bacteria in in those, and and actually chalk itself, uh, different fantastic um, material is. Is actually just the is actually just the leftover body parts of of, of microscopic sea life hmm. uh, that that are just over millions of years sunk to the bottom of the sea, and so I, I don't find it so bizarre to find uh, a, an association between uh, something like a building material and a, and a bacterium. Yeah, that's a really interesting way of putting it. I hadn't thought of anything like that. Um, other types of exciting concretes mm-hmm. 
Um, are you aware of what the sort of concrete research is going on at the moment? Well, I'm not. I, I went to an exhibition in France about 10 years ago called Beton Etonnez-vous, which means concrete, surprise yourself. <laughs> It doesn't work so well in, in English, but uh, <laughs> so uh, and I was surprised by... Uh, so the, the most surprising thing at Concrete Surprise Yourself was this strangely transparent concrete. Oh, wow. And what they had done is they had embedded uh, fibres, uh, fibre optic fibres in, in the concrete. And mm. it's sort of, it's because you expect that massive mass of concrete, that lump to be uh, completely opaque. Yeah. The fact that some light was getting through made it look like it was glowing right which was uh, uh i thought wow that's what, really rather cool. rather wonderful mm. um i'm exploring doing some work with a with a, with a company in 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 wales um who are specialized in making precast uh, elements they're called specialist precast and they're really interesting at stuff that they're exploring making and uh, creating all sorts of almost like furniture and product based um uh, materials, which I think there could be a real market for as well, because you mm. can you can create some really sort of fine shapes and really interesting forms, um, and uh, and get a real lots of really interesting finishes to it. So I actually think there's a real craft quality mm. to it. Um, I'll give you an exciting concrete. Go for it. It's called hempcrete. Ah, oh, right. Okay, hempcrete. I do know a bit about hempcrete because yeah. I went on a training course about hempcrete. It's where I learned about the lime. Oh, cool. Limecrete. Yeah. So, um, I think what what we need to do is we need to talk about tension. Okay. But and then we can then we can get into understanding a whole range of other stuff. What sort of tension? Uh, pulling concrete, putting it under tensile stress. Okay. Um, concrete is fantastic under compression, uh, but it has only about one tenth of that strength in the opposite direction okay. in, in, in tension. So uh, the Romans were building things like the Parthenon uh, with uh, their, and the Parthenon is a, is a dome and the entire structure is in, is in, is in, is in compression and that's great. But uh, really their use of concrete was limited to compression structure. So the foundations, the bottom of, bottom of the buildings and arch, arches and stuff, mm. but they couldn't do anything which would put an element into tension. Now, to get an idea of uh, what, why a building element might go into tension, because you might think, well, hang on a second, buildings aren't suspension bridges, mm. you know, why th there's no tension in a building. Well, if you were to interlace your hands, I'm going to get you to do this, yeah. in interlace your hands in, in front of you, uh, so they're like, they make like a sort of uh, plank, if mm -hmm. you tell me, with your knuckles pointing upwards and your palms down. Right, now imagine if you were to put a book or something heavy onto your, uh, onto your knuckles, yeah. what would happen? Um, your hands would go down, down as you supported the weight. Now, the skin on the underside of your hands now, if you turn around and look at it, what's happened to it? It's in tension. It's in tension. Yeah. And the skin on your on your knuckles, it sort of, it puckers up, doesn't it? Yeah. But that's because the top's in compression. Mm -hmm. So that is, that is a little kind of... Um, experiment to demonstrate what happens in a beam in a building so okay. if you've got two columns and you've got the beams supporting the floor um the middle of that element mm. uh is in is in bending and any element that has bending in it will have one side which is being stretched and the other side which is being compressed mm -hmm. so you can almost think of it as two elements um one bit's compressing and one bit's that's that's tensing and those two things effectively forming a moment which resist mm -hmm. that 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 load pushing down from the, the the book or the person or whatever you've got on the middle of the beam. So um, there's a great quote. I wish I could find the essay it was in, but Buckminster Fuller, uh, who's one of my favourite uh, writers, technologists, whatever you, um, mm. um, uh, wrote a 
he made some comment that said, in the aviation industry, it takes five years to get from prototype to mass production. And in the, in the Navy, it takes 10 years to get from uh, prototype to mass production. And in construction, it takes 40 years. And he says, um, take, for instance, concrete. Uh, engineers were putting uh, concrete and steel next to each other in buildings for, for hundreds of years before they realized if they put the steel inside the concrete, then they had a much better uh, then they had a much better solution. Now, I mean, I quite like that as a, as, a, as a story, but it wasn't until the sort of uh, mid to late 19th century that uh, building designers and engineers really started to put materials inside to take that, to, to resist that tensile load. And you can think of putting reinforcing steel bars in a little bit like embedding elastic bands, mm -hmm. if you see what I mean. So uh, it's when uh, and you would put them if you were to build that beam again with your hands you would put the steel in the bottom section of, of, of the beam the top bit where your skin's puckering up that bit is being resisted by the concrete's compression mm -hmm. but the bottom half it's like those steel bars acting like elastic bands and they're the ones that are they're the ones that are stretching and, and resisting that that tensile force the, the concrete in the bottom half of a beam does actually does actually crack Really, it does crack uh, at a microscopic level. Actually, on some big beams, you can see it, mm. but that doesn't matter because inside that cracked area, there are steel bars, and they're working really hard, and they're resisting that load. And then, as as whatever weight there is is removed from the beam, the cracks close up. Yeah, um, and so that's how that's how reinforced uh, concrete work. It, it developed it developed in the early. Uh, sorry, say late nineteenth century, there were lots of different companies competing with each other to say, yeah, ours is the best system, or this is the best system over here. It's like a sort of VHS Betamax type thing of of, of, of yeah, reinforced concrete. Yeah. Um. And but now the the elements are 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 pretty standardised. Okay. So the game with concrete to make it a much better composite material is to reinforce it somehow. Mm -hmm. So we started with hempcrete. Hempcrete is used as an alternative um, um, reinforcing agent. And when you use things, the other things you can use are sort of micro uh, metal fibres. So the thing that was doing the rounds in France when I was studying there was something called ductal, which has got these uh, little ductile um, iron filings or steel filings mm. in, 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 in the, uh, embedded in the material. And... These fibres then are isotropic. They're in all directions, not like the steel bars, which just are in you know, linear across mm. the bottom of the beam. So it means that you can make um, uh, all sorts of different shapes that you wouldn't necessarily be able to find the right sort of shape metal to go inside. So it's 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 supposed to be a much much more flexible type of reinforcement. Hempcrete uses hemp fibres, and uh, we uh, on this training course I went on built a small sort of hempcrete wall. It's quite. It's quite fun, and that uses the lime mortar as well. And I think that I think that um, it works as a better composite when it uses this sort of more natural lime mortars than the than the Portland cement, I believe. Okay. Um, here's a question: Do you know where the word concrete comes from? Um, I've forgotten. Well, it won't surprise you to hear that it's Latin, concretus, uh, which means oh, okay, it's the perfect passive participle. Of con concrete. Seriously, where is Lucy Clements? Can some can someone call Lucy? We need her here for the Latin bits. Um, meaning con together and crescere to grow. So right. it literally means to grow together. 
which is exactly what's happening at a microscopic uh, level. I exactly. like that. When you said it's the perfect uh, participle, I thought you were sort of saying it was a very good participle, <laughs> and I realised you were talking kind of Latin. I mean, uh, I, yeah. I just got it off the internet. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what a perfect passive participle is. Yes, it does. Yes, it's not um, a very good one. No. <laughs> uh, yeah, so that's a cool fact. Um, another fun fact. Today, concrete is the most widely used man-made material. Yeah, and I think it's by a factor of like an order of 10. Really? Yeah, uh, it is by far. And, and you look around you, it's in everything. Every building in London will have mm. pretty much like the new building is going to have a concrete basement. It's going to have uh, it's going to have concrete, a piled foundation sort of pushing down into the ground, or it's going to be on a concrete raft, which you can think of more as a sort of boat floating in the that's okay. terrifying. <laughs> well, that's what it really... I mean, if buildings effectively float on soil, yeah. right? And so do you, you get to a point at which the downward force of the building and the upward thrust of the ground equilibrate yeah. so that they are effectively floating. And actually, you have to be careful of differential movement between mm. uh, between two buildings. Oh, really? Yeah, and that's, uh, and that's why you often get tiny, tiny gaps between buildings. So or, yeah. Mm. Um, but there's so, and then it's going to be in the structure, it's going to be in the core, it's going to be, it might be in the facade, mm-hmm. uh, it's going to be in the slabs, uh, it, 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 it's all around us. And then, and then uh, uh, um, you've got a type of concrete in, in, in the paving slabs, um, it, not in this country anymore, but you've got the road services, you've got pipes made of the stuff, it's, it, it, is, it, it, is, it is everywhere. Yeah. Um, what do we think the second most widely used man-made material is? Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hmm. I don't have an answer to this. It's probably steel. I mean, I mean, second, you most use construction material. No, most widely used of any material, um, by weight. By weight. I don't know the answer, so it's purely hypothetical. Yeah, I think uh, I'm going to say steel. Mm, I would think so, but I'm not sure. Anyway, should we talk about some? Buildings yeah. made of concrete. What's your favourite building made of concrete? 
it's hard to choose between two. Okay. So uh, I won't uh, bore you by choosing, but I'll just talk about them both. Mm -hmm. uh, so one is the Barbican Centre, yeah. which um, I was fortunate enough to spend a lot of time spent uh, there when I was a kid. So my dad plays in the London Symphony Orchestra, oh, wow. which is, has its residency at the Barbican. Mm -hmm. And from about the age of four, he would bring me to rehearsals on a Sunday afternoon and basically say, right, well, off you go, go, go play in the Barbican and um, I'll, I'll pick you up in three hours. And I yeah. sort of quietly sit in the auditorium and then gradually got my confidence. And at, at, on a Sunday morning, the rehearsals were at sort of 10 o'clock, but the centre didn't open till 12. Mm -hmm. So I had the run of the place. Wow. And I mean, I loved kind of going up and down all the staircases and sliding down the banisters. And, <laughs> and uh, But it's a fantastic, like, expressive use of bold, expressive use of, uh, uh, use of concrete mm. uh, that has... so. It, it's a lot of modern, the modernist buildings have a sort of very grey concrete. It's actually quite a brown coloured, but it's got a wonderful surface texture to it. And you could see in the towers, which when they were built were the tallest residential blocks in Europe. In Europe? In wow. Europe, yeah. Um, you can see these amazing sort of sculptural forms of the, of, of the balconies. It's mm. really bold. Uh, but if you go right down, it, the, the sort of use of concrete and all its little different types of, uh, and finishes goes right the way through the scales of the building. So if you go, just remember this, there's some toilets right underneath the main auditorium. Uh, auditorium and yeah, Massive long toilets. Yeah. And you go into the cubicles and you realise the toilet roll holder <laughs> it's made from highly polished concrete. I haven't it, where, noticed that. Where it's all been buffed up and the aggregate is sort of uh, shiny. It's yeah. just really fantastic. And it's nice how they've paired it with other materials. So they've got a really nice woodblock floor mm -hmm. in the in the area behind the main hall. And actually, that's the end of the grain of the, the woodblock. If you look at it, it's all mm -hmm. end grain pieces. And then uh, I don't know if it's brass or something that they've for the for the railing. So it's a really fantastic use of uh, art. Of, of materials and you see these great big towers sitting proudly on their huge concrete columns and going straight down into the ground so that's one of my my favorites the second is the Sagrada Familia um, uh, cathedral uh, in uh, Barcelona which I was fortunate enough to visit just before uh, Christmas so it's the church of the Holy Family or the, the, the cathedral of the Holy Family designed by the um, uh, Catalan architect uh, Gaudi um, and he, it's it, it, it's funny. People think of it. Oh, it's amazing. This cathedral is still under construction. And it's going to get. It's going to be. It's, it's going to take you know, tens, hundreds of years for it to finish. Well, that's not so surprising. Like quite a lot of cathedrals took hundreds of years to to finish. It's just there's not so many under construction anymore. Yeah. Um, and he had an incredible vision for this uh, cathedral. This is not really concrete related, but I'll I'll chuck it in anyway. Mm -hmm. uh, he had he wanted to make this amazing internal form to make it look like a forest. But he didn't have fine art element analysis uh, when he was designing this stuff, I guess, at the start of the 20th century. Mm. Uh, so to create this incredible inside space where these columns would rise up and support a complex sort of uh, set of sub-columns and then roof, to calculate that, he did a very neat, very, very neat trick. Um, so... If you were to take, uh, if you were to, if you want to work out what the ideal form for a particular arch is, what you can do is actually flip it upside down and take a chain and hang a chain between two points mm -hmm. and hang the loads on the chain that the arch would be supported. So if there were point loads, and it'll form like a catenary with mm -hmm. straight lines between the different load points. That that shape is because because the chain is in perfect tension. Yeah. That that shape is the perfect form for the for an arch supporting the same 
yeah, the same loads. That makes sense. Right? Yeah. So he designed the entire roof structure and columns for this out of, he made a model of it, and it's you know about the size of this about the size of this recording studio, mm. um, which is not very helpful for listeners because they don't know how big it is. But it's enormous um, with uh, just hanging tiny pieces of string with then little lead weights hanging from them to represent the towers. Yeah. And to make this incredibly intricate structure, when you see it, there's you know, thousands of bits of string hanging down. Mm. And he used this to get the angles for all the columns inside and create the drawings. Wow. So, uh, and this whole thing, he knew he wasn't going to get to see it finished. Mm. Um, and um, he... Uh, built it in a really innovative way so that his vision was that each part every generation would have a part of the cathedral to build so he only saw one facade built but it's freestanding that facade and then they built the opposite one and then they built the opposite and um, now they're building the the top towers and they think they're actually going to get it finished within sort of 100 years of Gaudi's death Mm. he was hit by a tram sadly one day on his way to work Um, and I was very fortunate enough to um uh, meet one of the uh, uh, top engineers at Arup who has been involved with trying to help them figure out how to build this mm. um, this this very tall tower, um, and they're using a technique there um, uh, that involves pre-stressing stone, which we may get to a little bit later. But on the way up, there are incredible geometries, and and Gaudi was just like totally inspired by geometry. I think he thought it as a sort of um, almost a spiritual thing and he mm. had these incredible modulations in form that he did by taking a certain geometry and twisting it and he created these incredible columns with these different shapes on them and uh, concrete has been a really good way to be able to actually form some of these things you know they could have been cut out of stone but with concrete you know you can 3d print mm-hmm. a, a a formwork yeah. and then basically they get the concrete to be in whatever whatever shape you want it to be the Sagrada Familia is in, it's, it's just such an incredible, incredible s- space. And you go up the out, as you go up the outside of it, you climb up the towers. I was really, it made me laugh to see. I looked out onto the roof. You can't see this from the road, but when you look out onto the roof, there's a concrete batching plant on the uh, really? on the roof. It's basically, great big tanks. Yeah. And uh, I saw a I saw a, a, you know, a foreman there with a with a sort of uh, theodolite looking at the looking at the different angles and sort of marking stuff off. And I thought, wow. At that what a what a construction site to work on, but yeah. also yeah, that's a role that's been people have been doing that for over a thousand years, mm. figuring out how to build yeah. cathedrals. And, yeah, I so those are my two those are my two favourite um, concrete projects. Having said that, um, I'd also like to throw in a candidate is uh, the the I think it's the Parliament Building in Bangladesh, okay. designed by uh, Louis Kahn, the American architect. Mm. And there you get these sort of sheer walls of huge, just straight walls of concrete, which are which are just 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 stunning, and he has these incredible um, sculptural forms. It's perfect in their simplicity. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and sort of from far away, they have uh, sort of this just yeah, these very simple geometric mm. geometric forms. You've spoken about concrete very very eloquently um, with a lot of love, but a lot of people really really hate concrete. Right. What do you say to people who? talk about the concrete jungle and kind of feeling trapped in this very man-made environment so um well i i think uh i I might sort of um not try and persuade them otherwise because it's very (laughs) hard to persuade people of of, of different to what they believe in but i can understand where they come from and i think you shouldn't confuse the material and the architecture Mm. so obviously concrete is a, a a 
uh, a material that's pref- uh, of, of choice of the of the modernist architects, and I've, I uh, I really have a lot of time for modernist architecture and the aesthetics of it. I do think they got a lot of things wrong. There are certain so one place in particular where I think the modernist architects haven't always succeeded is in the interface between ground and building. Mm. So you'll have the areas around the bottom of buildings. It'll be often end up being where the the bins are, uh, or, or they'll be badly lit. Mm. And uh, uh, you know, I was yesterday. I was at Lyon in in, the, in France, and I was arriving somewhere at the bottom of a shopping centre in order to then get on a train. And the area around there are these huge concrete walls and there are bins down there and it's a sort of service entrance and it doesn't it just doesn't feel very human. It doesn't mm. feel doesn't feel like it's sort of very loved. So I think and that there's sort of a lot of these kind of utopia where imagine where we would zoom around in these cars and actually wouldn't see any of this. But that's not what the future of cities holds for us. Mm. So we've got a real problem at the ground building interface. So that's, that, I understand that, that's one thing. Second thing is I don't think it weathers uh, particularly well. Particularly, I mean, some concrete can, you can get problems with the aggregate reacting with water or there might be some other material which is then sprayed onto it, like de-icing salts or something mm. which will stain the concrete. Um, and there are some lights in which it just, there are some lights in which it just looks bad. So and I, I think that, that doesn't help its mm. that doesn't help its case, but at the same time, you can walk around the the Barbican where they've, you know, there are lush plants hanging down from the balconies, and it and it and it looks stunning. Mm. I think the buildings need to be maintained. So speaking of that, um, how long does concrete last? I mean, obviously, the Roman some of the Roman examples are still standing today, um, but for example, in our built environment, how long can we expect concrete to last, and what happens to it? at the end of life? I I would say the bigger thing is um, concrete will last as long as we need it to. I mean, buildings are designed with a design life of, sort of 50, 100, 150 years, that sort of thing. But um, our needs change, mm. and that's the big issue. So um, can we design a building that we still want in 100 years? The concrete will still be there, but can we design a building that still wants? So so the, the, the kind of the game now is around adaptable buildings or buildings that can be removed. And one of the difficulties with concrete is it's quite difficult to reuse it. Um, you can break it down and make it in, so you can effectively sort of recycling it. Mm. That is something you can do, but it's a little bit difficult to um, uh, uh, re, repurpose it. So... Uh, Unlike steel, for instance, so I was reading that the former East German Parliament building, the steel that was in that was taken off and melted down or adapted and was used to build the Bird's Nest Stadium in Beijing for the Beijing Olympic Games. The steel that is in the London Olympic Games Stadium uh, comes from gas pipes uh, that have been uh, repurposed. Mm. So uh, concrete struggles as a material to be to be repurposed and um, let's hear a concrete joke did you hear about the burglar that fell into a cement mixer what happened she turned into a hardened criminal <laughs> <laughs> i like how you changed the gender there that was great how did you know i changed the gender well i assume that the automatic gender would have been male i can't think why <laughs> <laughs> that's a whole nother podcast <laughs> great joke though I like that um, have you got any good concrete puns um, no <laughs> <laughs> fair enough um, yes a concrete pun let's see uh, um, 
I'm now. What are concrete, concrete, rude words? Actually, um, I'm just trying to think because I did a whole science show off set around engineering rude terms. Oh, I'm trying brilliant. to think if any of think uh, any of them apply. What were your just other engineering rude words? Um, cleavage. Uh, oh, yeah. for, um, for Crack cleavage. Yeah, yeah. For you know, just um, yeah. What else do we have? Um, full penetration butt world. <laughs> It's a serious thing. What does that mean then? Um, it is uh, a type of weld that you use that um, um, goes right the way through. Right. Um, and I'm giving away all my material now. I can't. Um, I can't remember. Um, oh yeah, I mean the big thing in concrete, of course, is the use of a vibrator in in concrete con- construction because okay. you need to make sure the air. Uh, air air is removed from the you want you want you want um make sure there's no air in the mix when you when you right. poured it into these concrete molds so you yeah. use a poker vibrator to uh, and these are massive great big um things that you can go and get trained on how to okay and how to use so so what do they put those in the mix while it's still liquid while it's still liquid someone will go in with a vibrator and uh sort of like prod it around in the mix to make sure and that, that gets the air bubbles out yeah amazing yeah um, there is also something from, uh, I think, in just just another sort of civil engineering uh, mm. uh, comedy moment, because this this happens in lectures, right? And the the the, the, mm-hmm. the, 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 the lecturer has sort of kind of heard this before. It doesn't even find it, you know. I mean, even... they've been saying the same lecture for twenty years, probably. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So um, I went to a sort of history of architecture lecture, and they were like. And it was in French, actually, uh, but it was a sort of, um, they're talking about how different elements of a Gothic cathedral roof might join together. Mm. And they're like, uh, where these six elements come together. Ah, voici un gothic sex party. And I was like, oh, yeah, okay. And I, <laughs> me and the other Brit was sort of sniggering at the back of me. Um, <laughs> about the sex party. The gothic sex party. Yeah, yeah love yeah. it. <laughs> I'm, trying to, I'm trying to remember my other... Um, Rude things. Yeah. Well, I think we've had enough rudeness today. Yeah, that's fine. It's supposed to be a family program. Should we talk about the Hoover Dam? Let's talk about the Hoover Dam. Right, Hoover Dam. Uh, quite. A, it was quite a uh, bold initiative. The idea of actually damming the the colossal Colorado River, which mm. is a, you know, a kind of uh, uh, an important spiritual river for. Um, people living in that part of America and is that and the one with the Grand Canyon in, or it, in the Grand Canyon? It 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 goes through the Grand Canyon. Yeah, yeah So it it, it is at the bottom of the, the Grand right. Canyon. So the Colorado River um, goes flows through the Grand Canyon and then reaches this place uh, where where the, where the where the dam is, mm-hmm. and um, it is a concrete. Uh, it is a concrete arch dam, which means that uh, the 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 force, the sort of uh, thrust of the water, is resisted by an arch which pushes, an arch which pushes uh, the thrust into the canyon sides. Okay. So, um, I mean, a couple of non-concrete related things, just practicalities. If you're going to dam a river, you usually have to send the water in a different direction. Okay. So the first thing they did was they tunneled through the cliff, four tunnels, for the river to go through. Okay. Through the cliff wow. and. So many people died building the Hoover mm. Dam. It's tragic, um, and they so they had these sort of uh, vehicles that had uh, that would drive into the pilot tunnels and make a little small tunnel, and they would just have 
rows and rows of benches on the back and then people be there with sort of pneumatic drills sort of drilling oh, wow. above them and all around them so these four massive tunnels which they then diverted the river through mm. and then they start to build this 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 concrete dam now as i said before and concrete as uh, a reaction is exothermic so um and when you've got that much concrete, it can generate a lot of heat. And mm. they're really worried about cracking. So how they avoided the cracking and controlled the cracking was to pump liquid nitrogen through the dam in pipes as the concrete was setting. Wow. And uh, um, I've heard it said that the actual the concrete at the middle of the Hoover Dam is still warm. Really? From its construction in the 1930s. That's completely ridiculous. Yeah. Well... Just, I think you just have to do the maths, and it's like yeah, I mean, it's, it's it is it's cooking away in there. It's doing its thing. It's getting stronger and stronger. Well, this is because it's a continual hydration reaction as well. So yeah. it's it's continuing to be exothermic. It's yeah. not like it's just it was warm eighty years ago and it's still warm. Yes, exactly. It's continuing to generate heat. Yeah, I mean, and, and obviously that will drop. As I say, I think sort of asymptotic. So it will, but that's that's the idea. Really. Amazing. Yeah. I mean, that's an incredible fact. I really like it. Uh, have you got any other? things to add no i have nothing else to say today about concrete okay then well thank you so much for coming on the show ollie it's a pleasure uh, would you like to tell the listeners where they can um find you on the internet to hear more about any concrete facts that you've got or to see any of your upcoming shows of course thank you so um you can find all my sort of writing and podcast stuff on my blog which has the name ifellover.com but spelt like the engineer e-i-f-f-e-l O-V-E-R, ifellover.com. You can tweet me at ifellover underscore and you can find me on Facebook on ifellover.dancing. And all those things have a mishmash of engineering, creativity, practical philosophy and sometimes dancing as well. Brilliant. Thanks so much, Ollie. Pleasure. So that was my amazing chat with the fabulous engineer Ollie Broadbent. Who knew that concrete could be so fascinating? This week's materials question is not so much of a question, but more a really cool suggestion of another interesting concrete. It comes from Alex Lathbridge, a science rapper extraordinaire, and he says, what about secrete? So I was looking this up and secrete um, has another name, it's biorock. And basically this is a substance that is formed when you pass a current through seawater. And what that does is it causes the minerals that are dissolved in the seawater to undissolve and accumulate. And that forms a sort of concrete-like engineering structure. It was invented by Professor Wolf Hilberts, who patented it in 1979. And it can be used to build new reef structures by transplanting coral from other reefs. I think this is amazing. Yet another reason why concrete is an amazing material. So thanks for that, Alex. Don't forget that if you've got any materials questions for us, you can tweet us at Realtalk, that's R-I-A-L Talk, or you can email us at realtalkpodcast at gmail.com. I've also started a new Instagram which features lots of interesting materials. You can find this at Anna Pajajski, that's A-N-N-A-P-L-O-S-Z-A-J-S-K-I. For now, thank you all so much for listening and we'll see you next time on Real Talk. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. 
Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.